Jess. And I'm Tiff. And we're your Curious Cousins. Where we talk about everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to episode 34. Welcome. How are you? Um, we just ate and I'm like so stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm a little miserable because your husband's way too good at cooking, so. I know, it's Saturday night, so. <sighs> yeah. He's got to pull out his pitmaster skills and. I mean, I only have myself to blame. I know, me too. Well, do we have any business? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I can't, I can't think, of, think any. of anything. Me neither. Well, this is a just horrific. I know. True it's crime. been a while since Jess has told us a story, and I can't wait. It has. Fair warning. <laughs> oh. It's a little long, but there's a lot of background that needs to be addressed. For... Multi-parter? Yes, it's okay. going to be a two-parter. Okay. So my sources were The Oklahoma's Most Notorious Cases, Volume 2 by Kent Freights, Oklahoma Historical Society, um, Remember the Ladies' Scandal Leads to Murder by Edwina Siner from the Muscogee Phoenix. And I did look at Wikipedia referenced with some of theirs because they had some articles from the New York Times and all that fun stuff. So... This episode is about Jake Hammond Sr. and Clara Smith Hammond. Okay. I have no idea who those people are. Okay. So I want to read you a quote. I thought this was perfect. Okay. This was in the in the um, Most Notorious Cases book. It said, Heaven has no rage like love to hatred turned, nor Ooh. hell of fury like a woman scorned. Ooh, I mean, I've heard that. From William Congrave. The Morning Bride, 1697. I was going to say, I've heard part of that before. Yeah, I mean, I've always heard, a hell, hell hath no fury like a woman's scorn. I've always yes. heard that part, yes. but I never hadn't really ever heard the first part of it before. So, ready to just jump right in? Absolutely. Okay, so a little bit of background on uh, Jake Hammond. Okay. Jake Hammond, he was described as an attorney, an entrepreneur, oilman, railroad developer, and a controversial politician. So, huh. one source even called him Jake the Snake. Oh. Just to give you a little tidbit of what you're going to get into. <laughs> so, Jake Hammond was born on June 5th, 1873 in Granola, Elk County, Kansas. He grew up in a series of small towns in southern Kansas. And one of those was Sedan. And this was where his father was actually the town marshal. Okay. One source said that they didn't really mention much of his mother, so I don't really know anything about her. But one source said that when Jake was a young boy, he actually left home and um, just so that he could join the circus. But very yeah, the circus. So, but he very quickly returned home. So I'm not sure how old he was, and I don't know how accurate that actually is, but it was kind of fun, you know, <laughs> like, anyway. In 1898, Hammond graduated from the University of Kansas School of Law in Lawrence, and that same year, he also married um, Georgia Perkins, and he it said he briefly operated a country store in uh, Cherryvale, Kansas, before moving to Newkirk, and that was at that time that was in what it or what was Oklahoma Territory. Okay. 
So the Hammonds relocated to Lawton, Oklahoma in 1901, and that's kind of when Jake took up politics. Now, I have some conflicting information between a couple of my sources, and one source said that by the time Hammonds, the Hammonds had moved to Oklahoma Territory, they already had two children. Okay. And the other source said that their son, Jake Hammond Jr., was born in 1901, and that their dollar, dollar, that's a money boy, that's nice, (laughs) and that their daughter, Olive Bell, was born in 1909. Okay. So Hammond was elected as Lawton's first city attorney. However, just two years later... Hammond found himself in a little bit of hot water. Uh, He was accused of using his office to extort protection money from gamblers. So when it came time for re-election, he was defeated. Okay. And um, the reason was when it came out that his off hours were used for... Um, he spent his time boozing it up and oh. gambling and womanizing. Oh. Oh. Just keep that the last one in particular in the in the front of your mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so kooky enough, even though he lost the reelection for city attorney, Hammond was later elected mayor of Lawton. I don't know how that worked out. Okay, okay. (laughs) Interesting. Yep. So, of course, being in local politics, it wasn't enough. (laughs) And he then, (laughs) yeah, he then started kind of making his way into the Republican Party politics. Okay. And he very quickly was elected to the Territorial Committee of the Grand Old Party, the GOP. And... He did this by becoming chairman. Okay. One source said that after being elected chairman of the Republican Territory Committee, he continued to maintain his law practice in Lawton, but his real end game was making as much money as quickly as he could. And whether he gained it legally or whether he got it illegally. Well, you wouldn't be talking about him on this podcast if he was doing it the legal way. That's true. Uh, he began cultivating relationships with not only Oklahoma Oklahoma politicians on a state level, but on a national level as well. So this included politicians such as Oklahoma's first governor, Charles Haskell, which yes. had his own scandal <laughs> that yeah. we might cover one day, yeah. and U.S. Senator Thomas P. Gore. Kooky fact. Thomas Gore was actually blind, and he was actually a a resident of Lawton. And Hammond and Gore were friends, Mm -hmm. and in some cases, they were also business associates. Hammond supported Gore, even though Gore was a Democrat. Well, at that time, most of Oklahoma was, so... Well, but but, um, Hammond, he was Republican, so I guess it was, I don't know if it was weird or not. I don't know. You know, I would probably venture to say it probably wasn't in I mean, I wouldn't days. think. Not it's like it would be today. Not like today. Today, you know, it's like unheard of. But in those days. Yeah. I mean, even 30 years ago, it wasn't unheard mm-hmm. of. You know, it's just, I swear, in the last 10 years where it's become a issue to where you can't be friends with somebody of a different party. Yep. Yep. 
1909, Governor Haskell was actually indicted uh, by a federal grand jury for fraud involving the sale of city lands in Muskogee, Oklahoma. Yes. Hammond went to Washington, D.C. to lobby Congress to intervene on Haskell's behalf. Uh, I don't know if it worked or not. (laughs) (laughs) At least in this, what I was researching, I honestly didn't look too far into that one. But needless to say, he went there to lobby for him. (laughs) So in 1910, Hammond was actually accused of bribing Senator Thomas Gore offering $25,000 to $50,000 to support J.M. McMurray's land contracts with the Choctaw and Chickasaw nations. So today, that amount of money would equate to $794,305 to $1,588,611. So now this And he just had that kind of money on him or well, in his bank or I you know at this point in time I don't know if he was doing really well with his law office or or what but he yeah, it's not like he was an oil man so Not yet. Okay. Oh, okay. Not yet. We'll we'll kind of get in more into his money. But you know, he always wanted to make a quick buck. So Oh, true. Okay. So anyway, now this land contracts thing I just mentioned, Mm -hmm. let me explain a little bit about what it was. So McAllister lawyer J.M. McMurray had signed contracts with the Choctaw and the Chickasaw um, nations. And that included an unheard of twist, a 10% attorney's fee on proceeds from a land slash mineral sale. Many people in Congress opposed the attorney fees in the contracts and actually sought to block the sale. Senator Gore was one of these people in opposition. Some people believed that Gore and the others in opposition failed to appreciate the enormity of what was at stake. So the tribes were selling 400,000 acres of coal and asphalt rights valued at 30 million to 140 million in 1910 dollars. In 2023 dollars, that would be 953 million 166,316 dollars to 4 billion 448 million 109,474 dollars. Oh my god. And they were selling these rights to a New York consortium of investors. Now, I didn't know what a consortium was, but so I had to look it up. A consortium is just an an association okay. typically made of made up of just several different companies. Okay. This is important because the, that mere 10% attorney's fee, okay. it would have been worth millions back then Ooh. and would have opened up the door to the promise of high paying attorney fees for future big money contracts. So like it was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. This was right up Hammond's alley <laughs> because like I said before, he liked to make a fast, he liked to make fast money. He yeah. wanted that quick buck. His approach to this was simple. You bribe those in opposition. <laughs> so in 
So huh. when, <laughs> right? So when Senator Gore came forward about being bribed, this of course made front page headlines all across the nation and actually led the House of Representatives to appoint a committee to investigate these charges. The committee actually convened in Muskogee, Oklahoma, and they also held hearings in McAllister. Wow. Yeah. So the outcome of the committee's hearings, it was basically Senator Gore named Jake Hammond as the one to issue him the bribe. Hammond, of course, denied those allegations. Of course, a lot of name dropping went on for people who were interested in these contracts. Like, you know, it's like, oh, you're going to blame me. Well, let me out this person. Yeah. So it's going to be like just a, I would imagine just like a domino effect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hammond actually admitted that he, Senator Gore and others had conspired to bid on tribe lands uh, being sold at government auction as a way to keep the price down and to buy lands cheaply. He mm. also denied knowing anything about a federal statute prohibiting such a conspiracy. So he acted like he just had no clue that this was breaking the law. <laughs> Convenient. After some time, the committee came up with a report and recommendation denying the approval of the McMurray contracts. When it came down to it, the committee members ended up believing Senator Gore over Hammond, but they didn't find any evidence that Hammond had acted as a liaison for McMurray, which is interesting considering that Hammond and McMurray shared a suite at the Washington, D.C. hotel during these proceedings. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> the men that Hammond tried to implicate by name dropping, they were all exonerated. Okay. And Hammond, however, was discredited. Yeah. But was still able to escape any kind of punishment. He had no real legal fees or or I'm sorry, he had no real legal troubles or fines, like nothing. Almost kind of like a slap on the wrist. Right, I was about to say that. And so after all that, he was about 38 years old at this time and he, oh, he went, was only 38, only 38 and oh, he wow. went back to Oklahoma. Okay. Huh, not wow. He was young. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so enters Clara Smith. In 1911 or 1912, the date is unclear, Jake Hammond met Clara Smith at a Lawton store. One source said she was working as like a um, store clerk and um, when he met her. So just keep in mind, at this time, he was 40 years old. Okay. She was only 16 years old. That's a quite the difference so one source said that it wasn't much of a surprise that he took an interest in clara given that his history for his womanizing ways you know he was known for having affairs ladies Mm -hmm. hammond was apparently just captivated by clara's Mm -hmm. um blue 16 she's 16 she's she's a young lady she's off limits Sir. Yes, but she, but he was captivated by her blue eyes and her brown hair, and she was pretty. I saw a picture. She was very pretty. However. She was 16. She was 16. So pretty soon after their first meeting, Hammond began a love affair with Clara. 
one source called Clara an ambitious social climber who was eager to get <laughs> out of, of the small town Oklahoma. Of course. We're going to blame her. Right. My question is, what do you call a 40-year-old man who is already married with children, by the way, showing interest in a 16-year-old girl? Mm-hmm. So if we're going to take that route. <laughs> Furthermore, you know, maybe she was a social climber. Maybe she wasn't. We don't know. Because I'm sure they didn't bother to interview her, to get to know her any. Right. We just well, got to start victim blaming right I now. mean, I, I can see where they might think she was mm-hmm. just because she was 16 when she met Hammond. Right. He was 40. That's a 24 age gap. Yes, for sure. Plus, look at it this way. You have this young girl who might feel stuck in this small town mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this older gentleman who some might consider good looking. Who comes in, he's rich, handsome, he comes along and starts showering. Yeah, he's worldly because he's been all over. He starts showering her with gifts and with compliments and attention. I mean, I don't know what her home life situation was like. I don't know if she had like nine siblings and, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. Yeah. But if, you know, he's also probably making her all sorts of promises and all sorts of things you know to get what he wants yeah, i mean i don't know but i probably naive yes and, uh gullible i yes, mean yes and you know at that age of 16 we all just all we want are that's for our fairy tale to come true right and so, so i mean she probably had big ideas for herself mm-hmm. and we just don't know right okay. so whether she was or she wasn't, and the fact she is, was, that's not a big deal. Okay, if they was, go, go, go for it, girl. I mean, the fact is, he shouldn't have been sniffing around anyway because he's forty, and, and she's, she's sixteen. 16. But exactly. he's already married. He is oh, he's already currently married. He is married time? with children. Like he is married, but he's oh no, yeah, okay, yeah, and we're gonna write about her. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. So, Hammond and Clara are in this love affair, right? Okay. Hammond ends up sending Clara to a business school in Lex- Lexington, Kansas, where she displayed an aptitude for business. She was very intelligent, mm-hmm. very smart. Hammond also sent her to a finishing school where she could learn how to, quote, <laughs> Behave appropriately and comfortably while dealing with important people, end quote. And according to one source, after she finishes with all the schooling that he sent her to, he then hires Clara as his personal assistant while they're having this love affair. And Uh, I think it's... Because he, one... Needed to have his cake and eat it too. Yes. And two, probably couldn't stand the fact that she was an intelligent, bright woman and could potentially probably land any number of great guys yeah. out there yep. who were single and closer to her age. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's safe to say that Jake Hammond wasn't the most reputable guy. Basically, he was a Richard Noggin, if you get what my meaning, <laughs> and had no honor <laughs> he had no honor <laughs> you 
going to leave that in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. He had no honor, obviously. And with that being said, it's easy to have a dislike for the guy, but it's about to get so much worse. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't stop laughing. So as if everything wasn't already bad enough right, up right. to this okay. point, <sighs> this is just disgusting to me. Hammond paid his nephew, Walter Hammond, $10,000. Today, that would be roughly um, $311,171 to marry Clara. What? Then had him disappear to California while Clara stayed in Oklahoma. Why would he do that, you ask? Um, Let me tell you. He paid his nephew $10,000 to marry Clara so that she would now be legally known as Clara Hammond. Mm -hmm. This allowed Hammond to travel the country with the young beauty on his arm under the charade that they were husband and wife. Obviously, his nephew took the deal, the bribe, whatever you want to call it. And whoops. Well, he's just about as bad as his uncle if he took it. Oh, he he did. Wow. Hammond's wife, Georgia, might have turned a blind eye to his affair with Clara like she had on so many of her husband's previous antics and dalliances that he had. But because Jake Hammond was so blatant and pretty much showcasing this affair that he was having with Clara, she just couldn't ignore it. This had to feel like such a slap in the face, I would think, because um, with how indiscreet her husband was with the affair and also, you know, it was with such a younger woman. I can't even imagine how that must have felt, you know, like. Right. I don't know. You know, how could she even ignore all the attention and all the money that he was so lavishly bestowing on Clara right. and, like, ignore it? She couldn't. No. Like, it was so in your face. Ugh. So this affair between Jake and Clara, it was basically the straw that broke the camel's back for Georgia. And she was just fed up and she had enough. So <laughs> this is kind of petty and I kind of love it. Um... And I don't blame her mm-hmm. for doing this. <laughs> but she refused to give her husband a divorce. <laughs> but she did agree to move to Chicago with their two children mm-hmm. on the stipulation that he had to pay her $1,000 a month and she would just leave. And um, today that's about $31,000 a month that she would have gone. Nice. And that's what she did. She got the kids and moved to Chicago. Jake and Clara, they pretty much just continued to live life like they usually were. Like, as you know, disappointing that Clara, but she was probably, I mean, I'm going to, well, she had to, she was probably groomed to believe that this was okay because she was 16 when he started lavishing this attention onto her. Mm -hmm. But it's disappointing at the same time to think that, like, you knew that he was married. You knew There's he no had way that she didn't know. And you were okay. Like, you literally were okay with marrying his nephew. Yeah. Just so that you could 
have this pretense of being married to John. Right. And then essentially Jake, uproot. Jake. Jake, sorry. I don't know who John is. <laughs> You're about to find out, yeah. actually. Oh, oh great. <laughs> um, but, like, she had to uproot this whole family. Like, his right. children, his wife, and they move. I mean, granted, it sounds like the wife did it pretty willingly because, well, she was getting quite the cut of Right. It, well, I mean, and you know, just <laughs> you have to think back in that time. You know, divorce was still considered taboo. Right, right. And, you know, it would have been humiliating. Mm -hmm. And so to have this affair thrown in your face all day, every day. And he was probably spoiling Clara. What was he doing for his wife? Right. Probably nothing. Hiding it. It sounds like he wasn't hiding it. it. Yeah. And I can't even imagine how the children must have felt or thought of it. I probably would want to get them out of that so they wouldn't have to see that mm-hmm. firsthand themselves either. Yeah. So it was just like a terrible situation all the way around. Right. And not that I'm, you know, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. But um, yeah, Jake and Clara just continued to live mm. life as usual. Okay. Hammond actually moved Clara to Ardmore in 1912 where they took up residence into luxurious adjoining rooms at the Randall Hotel. Okay. Now, they weren't just lovers. Clara became a really important person in Hammond's life. She was his confidant and his advisor. Because, remember, she was super intelligent. And she had a head for business. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think I mentioned that earlier, but... This is interesting because when they first met, Hammond maintained this appearance of wealth. And when all, in all reality, he was struggling financially. Oh. And Clara actually had a hand in turning his finances around. Be- nice. Because of this, he showered her with furs, with tens of thousands of dollars worth of jewelry. And, you know, and all the benefits that came with this, having this lavish lifestyle. And in 1912, Hammond, he was still practicing law, too. Okay. But, again, he was always looking for, you know, that fast buck. Mm -hmm. And he came up with a new scheme. Oh, gosh. He decided that he wanted to build a railroad from Ardmore to Lawton. Okay. There wasn't one already? No. Oh. And the only problem with this, he didn't have the capital to fund this endeavor. Had he ever worked for a railroad before? I I don't believe so. No, I don't think so. So being the little hustler that he was, Hammond went to the 1912 Republican National Convention in New York City looking for investors. Guess who he managed to wrangle a meeting with in New York City? Theodore Roosevelt. John Ringling. The famous circus owner. Oh, oh! We've, yeah. come, full, we've come full circus. Full <laughs> yeah, <circle>? right. <laughs> he ran away to join one. I wonder if it was Ringling's. <laughs> Hammond was able to convince Ringling that the railroad was a sound investment, and Ringling did end up backing this endeavor. So the Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Pacific Railway Company was chartered in January of 1913. Kooky fact. Okay. The ONMP was reported to be the only privately owned railroad in the United States not financed by debt or the sale of bonds. So, I mean, I guess that's kind of cool. I guess. (laughs) 
yeah. <laughs> your face. <laughs> I know. Having secured the financing, Hammond began to buy up all of the, um, they called it the right-of-ways for the railroad route. One source said that he used hardball tactics, which basically he was a bully and he would force towns that were along the route to come up with the money if they wanted the train to stop in their town. It also said that in some cases, if he was unhappy with the town's payment, he moved the line of the route. And in one case, he actually started a new town. <laughs> like I said, Richard Noggin. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Right. So once finished, the ONMP Railroad became an instant financial jackpot. Construction of the line began in August of 1913. Six days later, the first well in the Heddleton, or I think that's how you say it, Held, Helton, Helton Oil Field, Helton, Helton, yeah, which was 28 miles west of Ardmore, was completed and a local oil boom began. This had Hammond rushing to finish the railroad line. And I, I'm not really going to go into too much detail about that, but Hammond did make a lot of money from this railroad and from the Huddleton oil field. So I guess that's where the oil men part comes in, because okay. I think the um, the oil field used his railroad to transport all the things back and forth. All the things. Yep. The crazy thing is, it hadn't even been 10 years since Hammond's tribal land scandal that we Mm -hmm. talked about yeah. before that fiasco and he was now reportedly the richest man in oklahoma wow fast forward to 1919 hammond decided that he needed to get himself elected as republican national commit as a republican national committee member from oklahoma oh. this election turned more and more bitter the the longer it went on his opponents questioned his honesty, his morality, which is understandable yeah. considering his past shenanigans. <laughs> his opponents also began to undermine his public credibility and his reputation, even claiming that he wasn't even a resident of the state. So they weren't happy with him. <laughs> and despite the heated election and everything his opponents tried, he still won and was off to Chicago as a delegate to the 1920 Republican National Convention. Wow. <laughs> right? Wow. Let's give the man more power. Yeah. Ultimately, Hammond's goal was that he wanted to be able to choose the next U.S. Secretary of the Interior, and this was so that he could gain influence over the vast government oil reserves Um one was at Teapot Dome in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. The other was in Elk Hills in California. Mm -hmm. Both of these were under the control of the U.S. Department of the Interior. <laughs> Hammond's new scheme, it required him to control a significant block of votes at the GOP convention. And to do this, he had a simple plan. <laughs> he would buy delegates' votes. <laughs> He ended up borrowing $1 million from the National City Bank of New York just so that he could um, bribe or buy, 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 <laughs> it was to, his vibe. to buy these votes. 
And now he just needed to find the right candidate who would, you know, go along with this scheme of his. Two months before the convention, Hammond had gone to Washington, D.C., and he met a Mr. Harry M. Daughtry. Daughtry was a shrewd and ruthless political agent and just so happened to be the campaign manager for the U.S. Senator Warren G. Harding of Ohio. Future president. mm -hmm. Now, Daughtry, according to one source, seemed that he was a lot like Jake Hammond, so they got along pretty well. And he had a reputation for bribery and shakedowns. It was also during this time when Hammond was in Washington, or Washington, D.C., that he met presidential candidate Warren G. Harding. At this meeting, guess what? Hammond learned that Florence Harding was a second cousin to his estranged wife, Georgia. They are related. You've got to be kidding. No. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Right? So any thought Jake Hammond had of divorcing Georgia flew out the window. Oh, he was probably madly and deeply in love with her at this oh, point. Oh, you know he probably was. And but here's the here's the cake. He wasn't quite ready to cut ties with Clara uh, either. So mm. one source said that he didn't really seem to be too concerned with this information. Mm. And by June 1920, Hammond had impressed Daughtry by telling him that he could control Oklahoma's 18-member delegation and another 30 votes, that he could swing enough campaign money and votes to Harding to give him the nomination. Of course, he would do this for the right price, you know, the right offer. Yes, yes. As I said before, Hammond, I don't know if he wanted to be the Secretary of the Interior, if he wasn't the Secretary of the Interior, he wanted to have a hand in who was. Yeah. So, you know, this was also, he could capitalize on the oil supply at Teapot Dome, Wyoming. And after Harding ended up winning the general election in November of 1920, it was said that he did end up offering the post of Secretary of Interior to Hammond. Okay. So with his new position... Hammond decided that he was going to have to take care of some personal matters before he could cash in on Harding's victory. So because oh, I don't his like the sound of that. Because his his estranged wife, Georgia, was the soon-to-be first lady's cousin, <laughs> there was absolutely no way that he would be able to continue his relationship with Clara. Right. A couple of my sources had said that Harding had insisted that Hammond bring his legitimate family, and I'm doing air quotes, legitimate family to Washington, D.C., and that he should leave Clara in Ardmore. Hammond, of course, um, thought he could just throw money at Clara and it would fix everything. You know, it wouldn't be like, oh, I'm breaking up with you, but here you go. Right. I'm ditching you because I have higher plans. Hammond promised Clara an unknown sum of money with the understanding. This is what gets me. He promised her an unknown sum of money and also that she could keep all of her expensive gifts that he gave her. 
no kidding. You gave them to me. They're mine. Exactly. Um, of course she's going to keep them. They were gifts. Right. The audacity of this man. I'm like, I just like grit my teeth. Oh my gosh. So it seemed that Clara had taken this breakup fairly well. Like it didn't seem like she was too upset or out of bent out of shape about it. Good for her. She even signed a release of all claims against Hammond and agreed to move out of town before the return of his wife and children. She what, what about her husband? I don't I don't even know if they had any contact. Interesting. Okay. She might have seemed to be taking this breakup well, but she had to be spitting mad. Oh, for sure. And she probably she felt used. She probably she only literally ever been with him. He was in 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 dire financial straits and she literally she, yeah. turned his finances around. Right. Hello. During this time, um, she took herself on a little shopping trip to Oklahoma City. Well, I would have to. Where she purchased a twenty-five caliber pistol. Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 So things have turned quite mm-hmm. a bit now. November twenty-first, nineteen twenty. Okay. Clara, with her bags packed, had written in her diary that she was ready to leave Hammond. And she was going to head for California and for a fresh start. Okay. I have conflicting information once again on what exactly happened. One source said that Hammond spent most of his day at his office and then. um, So he was in Oklahoma at the same time. Yeah, he was in Ardmore. Okay. Okay. So he spent most of his day at his office and he was meeting with an Oklahoma insurance man by the name of. Kelly M. Roach and a retired Oklahoma City police chief, W.B. Nichols. The three men were preparing to go on a trip in Texas later in the week, and they had just kind of been discussing like politics and business and until about six o'clock that evening. talk. Yep. And then around um, six o'clock that evening, Hammond actually excused himself, saying that he had to meet up with an acquaintance. So the three men then decided that they would meet for dinner later that evening. I believe it was supposed to be, I don't know what time it was that they were going to meet, but they were just going to meet later for dinner. However, Hammond never made it down to dinner. Oh. So at about 830 that night, he staggered down the stairs of the Randall Hotel, bleeding from a gunshot wound to the stomach. Mm-hmm. So he walked the two blocks to the Hardy Sanitarium where Dr. Hardy examined him and found that the bullet had entered Hammond's abdomen, mm-hmm. penetrated the right lobe of his liver, mm-hmm. and lodged an inch from his spine. Oops. Uh-huh. Dr. Hardy sedated Hammond, okay. removed the bullet, and um, confined him to the hospital room. Okay. Allegedly, Hardy then notified Roach and Nichols that Hammond was resting and that he, um, that the shot wasn't fatal. Okay. Other sources said that Hammond was having a private dinner with his associates when Clara came down the stairs completely drunk and where they reportedly, her and Hammond had an argument Mm -hmm. before Jake told her to go back to the room or he was going to call the police and have them arrest her Mm -hmm. for disorderly conduct. And 
so it said that Clara was actually then escorted to her room by one of Hammond's associates and where she apparently laid down and ended up falling asleep. Okay. So a little later, Hammond decided that he wanted to go up to Clara's room and try to soothe and comfort her. Mm -hmm. And his associate warned him that he said, quote, she thinks you're giving her the brush off. If you go up there now, you will come down on a death wagon. (laughs) So later that evening, Hammond came down alone, reeling, and then collapsed when he reached the dining room. As luck would have it, there was a surgeon that was actually eating his dinner there at the time at the hotel restaurant <laughs> when he collapsed. He was immediately taken to the near nearby um, Ardmore Sanitarium and Hospital when they realized that Hammond had been shot in the stomach. Mm-hmm. So whichever version is correct, Hammond was shot in the stomach. Okay. He had surgery where he was expected to have a full recovery. Okay. He told the doctor, now this is in both stories too, he told the doctor and the authorities that he had shot himself by accident. What? And one said that when he had gone up to his room, he was clean, he decided to clean his gun and it accidentally went off and that's how he shot himself. So for several days, his condition seemed to improve. Um, they actually called Georgia Hammond to let her know what had happened. And she was actually making her way from Chicago down to Ardmore to mm-hmm. to be with her husband. And by November 25th, 1920, Hammond's condition took a turn for the worse. Oh. And instead of getting better, he just seemed to be getting worse and worse and worse. Uh-oh. So Georgia Hammond made it to her husband's side just in time to like hold his hand to be at his side. I mean, like both versions said, like she literally just made it there. Mm-hmm. And on November 26, 1920, Jake Hammond succumbed to his injuries and died. So the cause of his death was acute dilation of the stomach, mm-hmm. which caused acute dilation of the heart. Oh, so what happened to Clara? We'll talk about that next episode. Oh, no. No, 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 no. You had me. You had me. Yeah. I know that was a lot of background information, but I just kind of wanted to give everybody an idea of who he seemed to be. Mm-hmm. Because, right. I mean, yeah. not that I think anybody deserves to be murdered. You know no. what I mean? But... Like, he was not an upstanding guy. He, his moral compass was way skewed. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of, he, um, he was not a nice person. No. At all. He wasn't a good person. No. Uh, but, so, next week, you'll get part two. Man. Wow. So, anyway. Well. Jeez, that's good. <laughs> oh, you had me too. I know. I oh. well, I was. Did you worried. see me like just staring at you, going. Oh. I was well. I was so worried that like because of all the information that I was going to be like, this is going to be so boring. Like oh, they're going to think, wasn't. what's the point of this? All of this no. information. Well, it's just to let you know what a stand-up guy he was. What a stand-up guy. What a what did you call Richard him again? Noggin? Such a Richard <laughs> Noggin. <laughs> oh my god. So. With that, <laughs> so if you have any questions, <laughs> comments, 
concerns, <laughs> show recommendations, or uh, listener tales, you can always reach us on our socials at CuriousCousins at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at CuriousCousinsOK. Okay. You can find us on Facebook at Curious Cousins OK Podcast and on Twitter at Curious Cousins OK. Make sure you spell cousins C U C N S. And we are still looking for artwork. Yes, still looking for artwork. If that is your cup of tea, mm-hmm. uh, reach out. Please do. Please do. And we will give you all the credit. Yes, for sure. You can also find us on Patreon at Curious Cousins OK Podcast. And we only have one tier. It's $5. Uh, We've got some neat shows coming up and bloopers. And uh, remember, our shows won't just be, our Patreon shows won't just be Oklahoma-based. They will actually be worldly or (laughs) national or something. So uh, we look forward to seeing you guys hang out over there. Mm Mm-hmm. As always, we would love to have you rank and review our podcast on Apple or Stitcher or Spotify or iHeartRadio or Google or Amazon, whatever. You listen to podcasts, and I'm sure that we li- we are listed on all major podcasting streaming um, platforms. So just look for us there. Mm-hmm. And if you need to hear the end of this story like <laughs> I do... Come for part two. Come for part two, which will be next week. And Jess, tell them what to keep it. Keep it kooky and spooky. Bye. Bye.